0: First thing that comes to mind to me, I guess, is understanding or the one thing I didn't really grapple with until I got into this was the magnitude of an impact and the impact it could have on the Canadian sector, right? To more of that side, I didn't really realize the magnitude of a, of a disease outbreak and what it could mean for the Canadian sector. And so that's quite alarming, and that's often the approach I take when I, I talk with producers is that, you know, this this could be ugly, right? Yeah. Like it, it could really hurt us. And so it's something that yeah. we need to pay attention to. Um, and and be prepared to deal with this. A whole new
1: era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Swine It Podcast Show Canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like... Our nutrition group includes four companies nutrition athena shakespeare mill farmhouse and nutrition partners which serve swine producers all across canada swine veterinary partners is comprised of four clinics across canada that specialize in swine health management research and development welcome to the swine it podcast show canada a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the canadian and global swine industry The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments, and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry.
2: Hello everybody, my name is John Patience, and I'm have the good fortune of being the host of uh, SwineNet Canada today. And today we have a, a very interesting topic and a very, very well-qualified person to talk on that topic. It's Todd bergen um, who works for Syracon and also farms on the side. He's been working for quite some time in the area of foreign animal disease, how to deal with outbreaks, and also how to be prepared uh for outbreaks so todd uh welcome to swine it yeah thanks for having me before we get started um could i ask you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience a a little bit your background um and kind of how you got into this whole area of of uh foreign animal disease
0: yeah you bet so I grew up in a small town just north of Lethbridge, Alberta, often known as the feedlot capital of Canada, so grew up on a farm in that area. am not actually on a, a livestock farm, I uh, actually grew up on a crop farm where we harvest uh, sugar beets and seed canola and wheat and barley and corn and all kinds of things you can grow under irrigation. Um, so grew up working on the farm and then um, went on to university, to the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Uh, where I did my Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Business Management. Um, From there, I I did get a position with uh, with Kahn up in Edmonton, uh, where we work on various types of agriculture-related projects, oftentimes related to economic-type projects, but um, was uh, lucky enough to be uh, asked to join an animal health emergency management team, where our focus has been on preparing for animal disease outbreaks. And so since twenty sixteen we've been working on this, this project, uh, through different iterations of it. Um been working on animal health and animal health related topics. So it's it's something that's uh I've 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 grown to love and, and it's uh it's important to me. I mean, um as you had mentioned, you know, I, I do farm still here in Lethbridge, just north of Lethbridge, and uh the livelihood of my farm business really does depend on the livestock sector in the area. We have a lot of feedlots that are are nearby and dairies and and all types of different types of agriculture um, in southern alberta here that that my business my farm business relies on and so um, making sure that that live livestock sector is healthy and and prepared for for the uh the emergency events that could happen is is valuable and important to me and so that's why it's, it's something that i've really uh took close interest to and continue to work on so um, been doing this work since since 2016 through different iterations of the project, and um, have worked on a number of different areas and in a number of different provinces. So it's been really fun and, and getting to know the people in the sector, and, and hopefully better preparing the sector for different types of emergencies that could strike. Yeah, and I'm sure Todd that um, being raised in and
2: growing up in that area, as you mentioned, with feedlots and dairies, uh, pretty uh, the, at least there used to be significant number of hogs there and uh And some poultry, so you grew up surrounded by uh, livestock uh, in various uh, forms, and so that gives you a great appreciation for the implications of foreign animal disease and also what can be a practical approach to being prepared for foreign animal disease and for responding to a foreign animal disease outbreaks so you seems to me you're you're well positioned uh Figuratively and literally, uh, to be an authority on this subject, so we're glad to have you this after uh, today. Now, um, Todd, before we start, can you share with our audience a bit of the structure of the preparedness activities that are going on in Canada? Sort of how it's handled at the federal level, how it's handled at the uh, the provincial level, and then is there an even um, uh, narrower, uh, more local level of preparedness that's going on, just to help us to understand that that infrastructure that's in place. Yeah, of course. So
0: um, yeah, a lot of different levels you can look at it. So I mean, whether we're talking about federally reportable diseases or provincially reportable diseases, or even talking about uh, other types of emergencies, such as fires and floods, and how that can impact different levels and uh, different municipalities. So there definitely are those different levels. So if we start at the national level, uh, CFIA is the, the the key regulatory body that would look after a federally reportable disease. So something like foot and mouth disease or African swine fever um, would be regulated and controlled by CFIA. So they really have, uh, you know, their preparedness and their response efforts are focused at that national level and focusing on those uh, large scale, um, you know, trade impacting diseases. You know, you go down to the provincial level, each province would have their own provincially notifiable or reportable diseases that they'd be responsible for, um, you know, being that governing body or that regulatory body. So when we talk about PED, um, that's one of the ones that often falls underneath the provincial jurisdiction, and and they're responsible for looking after uh, the response efforts with regards to those provincial diseases. And then once you move down to the municipal level, uh, those much more focused on. Non disease related type events, you know, the fires, the floods, uh, the power outages, and those type of things. That's where often that that uh, level of uh, of jurisdiction will take uh, the key role in responding to those events. Not saying that you know municipal or provincial won't be involved in national efforts. It's just that they won't be the the kind of the head body that will be heading on the the the, the response efforts. So. Uh, there are those different efforts that are going on, and I guess as it all fits into you know why I'm here and and how our project fits in. Uh, our project is a, a, a is a nationally funded project, um, the Animal Health Emergency Management Project, which focuses on uh, better preparing the, the Canadian livestock sector for animal disease outbreaks, and so. We've worked with provinces, we've worked with municipalities, we've worked with national level organizations as well in better preparing their sectors for those types of emergencies. And the Animal Health Emergency Management Project, if we you know go one level higher, is part of a a broader effort called uh, or under an organization called Animal Health Canada. So it's it's something that's been recently formed uh, with the goal of bringing industry and government together to better prepare. you know, sectors for animal health and welfare-related items. So it's a it's a pretty broad group, and our project specific to emergency management and disease outbreaks really fits under that animal health Canada banner. And so um, we've uh, we've been working with them and under that uh, that umbrella organization. And I think it'll really be beneficial to the Canadian livestock sector um, just to try and coordinate these efforts uh, going forward uh, across Canada and not just looking at it from a province-to-province perspective.
2: Yeah, and my, my last question in, in this respect, uh, Todd, could you um, share with our listeners um, who's involved in the planning process? There will be people like yourself that are, I guess you could say, employed uh, in the initiative and, and in the various projects, um, but I'm sure there's committees or there's oversight of what's going on at the provincial level or the federal level, and who uh is represented? Uh what p- portions of the livestock industry, government, etc., are represented in uh those federal and provincial organizations?
0: Yeah, so I would look to a number of the working groups. I mean, uh the African swine fever executive management board has been something that's been established um in the I think in the Canadian context. Um and, and essentially what that's done is pulled together various, uh, swine related groups across Canada. So whether it be industry or government related, um, and has brought all those people together and has formed a number of working groups that have focused their efforts on specific components of disease response. So, um, you know, there's ones that focus on hog supply. There's ones that focus on, um, you know, biosecurity. There's a number of different working groups that have been put together, Uh, to better prepare themselves for African swine fever. And so that's really pulled people from provincial livestock organizations, industry groups, veterinarians across the country, and has pulled them together to, again, try to coordinate these efforts uh, to better prepare ourselves to respond for something like African swine fever. So it's been a really interesting model to see how it's been put together um, and how it could potentially work for other types of diseases or emergencies as well. Great, great. And actually I have a final, final
2: question on this structure, sorry. And that is, uh, cause I want to move on to the, to the main guts of what we're going to talk about today. But I think our, again, our, our, audience would be interested. What kind of interaction, uh, do the Canadian, uh, components of, of this, uh, foreign animal disease preparedness, um, interact with, um, obviously the U S which is our closest neighbor, but also, uh, globally. What, what kind of sharing or interaction or coordination is going on um, uh, beyond the national level?
0: Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's another wrinkle in all of it is looking at it from an international context. And there's been various efforts that have been ongoing related to international, but I know with my own experience, um, you know, our, our CFIA uh, government representatives have been in contact with the USDA and and the APHIS down there and, and, you know, trying to, I guess, align those efforts and making sure that we have an understanding of, you know, if, if something were to happen on this side of the border, what, what the impacts would be on the other side and trying to understand how that communication flow would work in time of crisis. So I know that those, uh, those conversations have been ongoing in the background, but outside of that, even in the, in the public eye, there have been meetings that have been put together specifically one I'm remembering through the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to get the, the acronym wrong here, but it's the Penmore Pacific Northwest Economic. Uh, it's a group that has come together and it's actually, um, they've actually sat down and had uh, discussions with uh, with a broader audience about how a, a disease outbreak would unfold and what that would look like on either side of the border and what that communication would be and just try to get an understanding of what actions would be taken on either side of the border so that each country can recognize what the status of, of, of an outbreak might be and what it might look like so that they can be prepared for those type of situations uh for in the event that they may happen. So those conversations do happen. There's been various interactions where they've been um you know, publicly available to see how that would happen, but there's you know, there's a lot going on in the background as
2: Gotcha. Very good. Excellent. Um and that's really important as well. And, and so many people who are involved in livestock agriculture will unfortunately have uh, probably at least remnants of memories of the BSE situation that occurred and the implication that that has on trade, et cetera, et cetera. So let's move in and, and talk about uh, the work that you're doing, uh, what's being done um, uh, provincially and federally as
0: it relates to foreign animal disease preparedness. Sure. So the the Animal Health Emergency Management Project, uh, or AHAMLs is the acronym that we've been using. Um, it's it's really focused on enhancing the livestock sector and be being better prepared to respond to serious animal disease outbreaks. That's really been our our goal and and trying to build capacity for responding to those, building knowledge of uh, disease outbreaks. And so it's it's you know there's a lot of different prongs that we've uh, we've used to try and better prepare the sector and. There's there's six key activity areas that we worked in. So uh, one of them been, has been protocol development. So the development of protocols that would be implemented in case of a disease outbreak. Uh, the second uh, activity is is actually resource development, and that's something that I've, um, I've I've been the activity lead for that project, and something I've been uh, spending a lot of time on. And so um, developing resources for producers, developing resources for uh, provincial association staff. Uh, and national level staff as well to actually respond to disease outbreaks. So it's really providing some education um, to producers and, and staff members on how a disease outbreak would be managed, um, how they can prepare, and then how they would actually be asked to respond in that in the case of a disease outbreak. So um, you know the, the resources and having that information there is really important. And there's been a, a number of other one or two pagers that have been developed as well. So that's, that's really been the second uh, activity area, and, and there's a lot of work that's been done there. All the resources that we've developed are available on our website at animalelf.ca uh, for anybody that's interested in seeing the work that we've done. Um, so that's all available online electronically. Uh, the third activity area is really focused on building awareness around the resources and the information that's available, so trying to get that information actually out to producers and out to industry stakeholders. So that's been the key focus there. And obviously it's been hard during the pandemic getting that information out. But over the last two years we've covered a lot of ground in getting this information out to producers. I know, you know, you talk about biosecurity or anything for that matter. Um, yeah, producers, you know, it's 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 important, but I think it's something that you really do have to keep reiterating and keep getting information out there on just for it to actually build that understanding and build that education. It's it takes a, an iterative effort to do that. So um, we've continued to do work in the in the awareness area. Uh this the fourth activity area is actually on training. Um, and that's taken on a few different angles. Uh one has been on incident command training. So the incident command system is is what's used here in Canada uh for actually managing disease outbreaks or emergencies for that matter. And so doing some training for industry staff and producers on ICS and, and incident command. Um, and understanding how that process works has been part of that training activity. Um, we've also done some disease recognition training for veterinarians and industry staff members on uh, what are the key signs and symptoms of foot and mouth disease or African swine fever. And we're currently running a course for avian influenza right now with that being um, obviously one of the, the key disease diseases we're dealing with in the, the Canadian livestock sector or well, North American for that matter. Um, so Doing some early identification or early disease detection has been the, the main effort there, and, and those have been really popular, those courses. so um, we've been quite happy with how that's turned out. And then the uh, the fifth activity area that we've worked on, and I mentioned this previously, was uh, the African Swine Fever Executive Management Board. So we've been uh, helping facilitate some of those conversations and taking care of the to work on that. And then the last activity area that our project is focused on has been on foot and mouth disease, um, and, and response strategies to foot and mouth disease as it relates to vaccination. So looking at how a vaccination uh, may actually roll out in the case that that was the approach taken in case of a foot and mouth disease outbreak. And um, so that's been uh, one of the areas we've been doing some work on and developing some protocols for that. So pretty broad project that we've covered a lot of angles on and, it, and it's been really well received and we're working on you know developing our next iteration of this project and what that might look like. Um, in the coming months here.
2: It's a pretty, uh, pretty complex topic, isn't it? It requires an awful lot of effort on the part of an awful lot of people working in different sectors of uh, livestock agriculture. So um appreciate what you're doing and I'd now like to delve into preparedness. We will get to response before we end the podcast, thought, okay? But I, I would like to talk a bit more about preparedness. And I'm going to ask a question, um, I don't know if it falls into your uh, area of knowledge or n- not, but the one thing that I'm aware of, um, just as uh, as a John Q citizen, um, crossing a border, uh, and I cross the land border quite frequently, um, because I live both in Canada and the United States, so I go back and forth a lot. And I have traveled internationally and flown back into Canada, so arriving at airports as as well as uh, land borders, and I I guess I'm I'm a bit surprised that at least at at my level of consciousness I don't see a whole lot of um, what seems to me um, attention being paid to foreign animal disease. I don't get asked the question very much. I <clears throat> I get asked the question, are you bringing anything back? And that, of course, could lead there. Um, and I know that the border agents have so many things they're looking for. Uh, they can't spend, they can't have a conversation with every person passing through the border. But I have, I've, I've been a bit surprised that they're given the economic implications of foreign animal disease uh, break in in uh canada and the fact that for example african spine fever is not right around us but it's not too far away um what's going on at the border to try to prevent that um vehicle for entry into canada because there could be all kinds of things going on behind the scene that i don't see you know there could be dogs in the baggage area and so on that i just don't see so
0: yeah yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I'm not as fluent on all the efforts that are being taken there, but I, I do know uh, I'm familiar with a few. So, um, there has been a request uh, and response from the Canadian Border Services Agency to enhance their <clears throat> their security to to detect uh, different meat products and different things uh, from being brought into Canada, and so. Uh, I, I won't put out numbers because I don't know exactly but they have added more sniffing dogs to their arsenal um and so there are those 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 dogs that are in some of the major airports and are checking with baggage and luggage every once in a while and they do seize items um somewhat regularly and so um so they're doing their job and, and I mean it's it's impossible to catch everything I mean you think about how much traffic goes in and out of Canada whether it be through land borders or or through uh through air and so um you know it's it's it is you know pretty difficult to to stop all movements but that's one effort that's been made to do a better job of uh, of catching uh meat products that are trying to be brought into canada um the other one is i know CFIA has done a lot of work in developing uh, communication efforts and um uh providing you know banners and graphics and different things regarding the the the, the danger that importing or bringing in pork products or meat products for that matter uh, into Canada could have, and so I think that's a, a really important piece because, like I say, you know, the dogs. It's you know quite quite targeted efforts. It's you know it's not a broad based effort to to attach it. But um, if you have uh, you know the education effort, getting information out there to people that are entering or leaving Canada um, about the, the the risk that bringing in meat products could have to the Canadian livestock sector, I think that's a really good approach to take. And so, um, trying to educate uh, travelers on on what you can and can't bring in and uh, the risk that it could pose, I think is is really important effort that's been taken by CFIA. And so there's been uh, a number of things that have been um, offered through CFIA to, to better inform travelers about the risk it could pose. Okay. Okay. Very good.
2: Good. I, I appreciate that. I, um, I, I guess it's a pet topic of mine, I, I guess, because I cross the border so much. And when we approach the border and we have food items in the car, we're, we're either trying to find a place to dump them, or we're madly eating them before we get we get up to the uh, to the uh, border agent. So that's that's kind of a personal thing, but but I take it very seriously because I think it's a very serious topic. Um, uh, with with just staying on preparedness for a minute before we move to response, um, since you've been working in this area so much, is are there one or two? topics or aspect of foreign animal disease preparedness, that you would say, my goodness, if I was not involved at the level that I am, I would never have dreamed that this was important. Or I had no idea that uh, this would have to be a part of foreign animal disease preparedness. I'm wanting to take advantage of your experience, Todd. And if there's one or two items that come to mind that you say, wow, most people would never think that this is an important part of foreign animal disease preparedness?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind to me, I guess, is understanding, or the one thing I didn't really grapple with until I got into this was the magnitude of an impact and the impact it could have on the Canadian sector, right? To more of that side, I didn't really realize the magnitude of a, of a disease outbreak and what it could mean for the Canadian sector. And so that's quite alarming. And that's often the approach I take when I I talk with producers is that you know this this could be ugly right yeah. like it it could really hurt us and so it's something that yeah. we need to pay attention to um and and be prepared to deal with this I, I often use the the poultry uh sector as an example i mean they've dealt with high path even influenza uh in 2004 in bc and in 2014 and um you know it really affected them significantly and so Using them as an example, you know, I often draw a comparison between you know, 2004 and 2014 and the magnitude of the impact. And between those two years, between those two outbreaks, the, the BC sector did a lot of work in being better prepared. And it really showed in the magnitude and, and the, uh, uh, the the outcome of, of those disease outbreaks. The number of animals that were diseased and, and had to be dis- be, be euthanized was was significantly less the number of infected premises was way less and so um that was really interesting to learn that you know the value of preparedness and response really can have an impact on a on a disease outbreak so that's one of the things i guess that that you know maybe i didn't realize coming in i didn't realize that the magnitude of something i'm yeah. like i don't know you know i think about my own context here context here with the with the number of feed loss that are in the area and the, the number of animals um it's it's you know there's a lot of a lot of cattle in this area in a very small uh, small geographic area um, a lot of swine in this area as well and so um, having a disease come through here could really wreak havoc on uh, the operations and supply chain of our of our sector so something I've definitely uh, given a little bit more thought to and um, yeah it's it's uh, there's there's more problems there than you think when you start to dive in
2: right yeah yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a big issue. Um, so let's turn now to uh, to response to foreign animal disease and could you share with us the and I don't structure it any way you want Todd, uh, whether it's chronological or priority or however that at you know at the farm level or at the provincial level or federal however you want to structure the answer to this but can you describe the plan that Canada has in place or the provinces have in place um, to deal with uh, a foreign animal disease outbreak in Canada. We hope this never is required, of course. Uh, We hope the the work that's being done to minimize the risk is working well, and so we don't have to respond. But if we do have to respond, what's it going to look like?
0: Yeah, and, and it really will depend on uh, the, the type of disease and the nature of the disease. So, I mean, obviously, the answer is depends, but uh, I can try to fill in some of those gaps as best as I can. Um, for something like African swine fever or foot and mouth disease, uh, the the approach, and, and this is the approach that's taken in a lot of countries and uh, for, for several highly contagious diseases, would be the actual eradication of the disease or the virus. And so, uh, in order to do that, there's uh, several key control strategies that would be implemented by CFIA and or provincial governments and industry. Um, Everybody would be partnered in on this and, and trying to make efforts to try and eliminate uh, that virus that, or whatever contagious disease it might be. Um, and so those, those control efforts really focus on containing the spread, trying to prevent further spread of that disease. So um, when it comes to that, that involves efforts such as zoning uh, or quarantines. So if your farm is the one that's suspected to be infected with, with the disease, uh, your farm would, would be quarantined. So there'd be no livestock or or animal products moved on or off of that farm for that period of time. Um, perhaps there could be an exemption of getting feed onto a farm in case there was some welfare concerns. So that's uh, That perhaps could be one exemption. Um, uh, other control efforts would be actually zoning around that infected premises. So uh, trying to uh, essentially create a buffer zone around those infected affected zo- uh, premises trying to prevent that disease from exiting a, a certain specific area and so uh, zoning uh, can have you know indirect consequences as well you know there's other farms that could be caught within that zone uh, that aren't infected and don't have the disease that you know would then be impacted as a result and so you know there'd be uh, limits on movements that would be allowed between certain areas um, you know if you could move livestock into or out of that zone could be a, a question so um, there's a, the number of things there that, that would need to be uh, considered and, and could affect farms within that zone so um, so yeah I mean the control strategy is is, is one of the big things uh, The next thing is actually you know eradicating that virus or that disease and so that would entail, Actually, stamping out of uh, of livestock in the carriers of that disease. So, uh, infected farms in the case of foot and mouth disease or African swine fever, those those infected animals would be uh, euthanized. They'd need to be euthanized, um, and then uh, and then disposed of properly in a way that that virus does not you know stay alive in the environment. Um, so there's there's the the destruction and disposal efforts that would be required on infected premises or fem- premises that were suspected of being infected. so that's quite a, an undertaking to to take on that eradication effort. And then the last thing that would need to be done is is cleaning and disinfection of those premises that were suspected to be infected. So um, you know you'd have a barn that would be empty because those animals had been euthanized. Um, the actual barn would need to be cleaned and disinfected. So uh, that might involve removing all the manure, making sure that it's washed down good making sure it's free of any organic matter, debris, um, and then actually using some type of a, of a cleaning agent or disinfectant to actually kill any virus that may exist on those uh, those buildings or those structures. And so, uh, again, that's quite a significant process to undertake um, and would be required in order for animals to be allowed back into that, that barn or that shed or um, that area um, before so that they wouldn't become infected again. So, these are efforts that need to be taken by CFIA in the Canadian context uh, before animals can be reintroduced. And it's important because, uh, especially when it's a federally reportable disease, such as like foot and mouth disease or African swine fever, in order to get back into that international market, all of those steps need to be taken in order to make sure that they are free of the disease uh, and then allowed to export livestock again. So it's it's an important process that needs to be followed uh, quite closely in order for for a country to to regain that market free access. So um, yeah, there's those three kind of key stages there. It's controlling the disease, eradicating the virus, and then uh, cleaning and disinfection there and disinfecting are the kind of three key steps to uh, to getting rid of the virus or the disease. right. Um, so getting a little more
2: specific then uh, since our audience is swine focused, um, if I'm a farm and I have the disease has broken on my farm, or suspected to be on my farm, uh, and so the animals have to be euthanized, I have to clean and disinfect, um, and make sure that the the barns are are clear of the virus. How long a period of time will transpire from when the We'll call it the diagnosis occurs,
0: and when I can
2: start putting pigs back in that barn.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough answer, um, a tough question. Uh, really, it, it comes down to um, what resources are available to actually carry out that process. So, um, the actual depopulation and disposal effort is is a massive effort, and um, I know that there was some work done here in Canada on. What it would take to depopulate certain sizes of, of uh, sow barns or um, finishing barns or feedlots for that matter as well, um, and it's it's multiple weeks to to to, de- to euthanize large large barns. So uh, that's one one component of it is how long does it take to actually get rid of those animals, um, and that largely depends on how many people and how many resources are available to actually do that. Uh, so that's that's a major. Uh, factor when deciding or determining how long uh, that process would take. Uh, the cleaning and disinfection, again, would be, uh, you know, a pretty significant process depending on size and nature of of your barn and, and, you know, the different things that are all in there. You know, you talk about fences or slotted uh, flooring and, you know, where manures are manures stored, um, making sure that that's all cleaned out. So, I mean, that's quite a large process and, again, it depends on the resources that you have on your farm are available to you to do that. Um, and then the next thing is how long of a an incubation period do you need to have in order to prove that you're actually free of that virus. So, um, you know, there needs to be ongoing testing and surveillance of your premises uh, or your farm uh, after the cleaning and disinfection process is taken on and then putting new livestock in there and actually surveying those livestock as well, ensuring that they're not exhibiting any signs or symptoms. So it can be quite significant. I'm not sure I can put a time on it, but it's 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 quite a large undertaking get to, from start to finish. Um, so there's some preparation efforts that can be done there to try and facilitate that process as best as possible because that's really what we want to do. I mean, you know, in the un- 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 for unfortunate case that we actually do have a disease incursion, uh, the next step, the next focus is, okay, let's get through this as fast as we can and try to get out on the other side and get back to the market, right? So there's things that we can do to try and speed up that process, uh, that eradication effort. Uh, there's definitely some things we can do to be better prepared to to do that process. Right, we're good. Uh,
2: maybe my final question on response side, Todd, uh, before we wrap things up is, um, is there a... A process of zoning uh, in Canada. Uh, so, for example, if there was a break in uh, Eastern Canada, Central Canada, uh, that uh, Western Canada could still export animals. Has, has Is that in place or is that being worked on? And is that or has that been accepted by foreign governments?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's something that comes up a lot of times in our discussions. Um, I mean, Canada is a And the U.S. are massive countries. I mean, it makes up, uh, you know, a good portion of Europe if you're trying to overlap it. I mean, you know, you see in Germany, for example, you've got ESF and, you know, Germany's whatever, you know, probably the size of smaller than a number of provinces, right? And so, um, you know, trying to gain some understanding around can we try and zone off certain portions of the the country versus others um, is definitely something that's been looked into. Uh, Whether or not it's being accepted by the international community, I'm not quite sure what the status of that is currently. I know that there are efforts uh, specifically with foot and mouth disease. There's um, a CFIA, um, one of the doctors there I'd been working with, uh, Dr. Tom Smiley, he'd been working at the international level trying to gain acceptance of of ring vaccination as a way of trying to zone or cordon off uh, certain parts of the country or even a geographic area, and then trying to allow the rest of the country to to regain trade. But my understanding is right now, um, so there there's been efforts that have been made to look into um, you know if that that can be done. I don't think it's being recognized currently, but uh, uh, those efforts are, are are ongoing. There's also been a work with compartmentalization. I'm not sure um, for those out there that may be familiar with that. That term, but essentially building, uh, establishing compartments within your sector, proving that you know the livestock that are within that compartment would be free of a disease simply based on the fact that it's kind of a, a closed system. Um, so there's been some work on getting countries to recognize compartments as being free from a disease, so that in the case that uh, a disease were to break in in Canada or, or any part of the of North America, that these compartments could remain. Uh, accessible to the international market because they can prove that they have heightened biosecurity and and proof that, you know, that the disease doesn't exist within their compartment. So there's been some work that's been done by the Canadian Fork Council on on trying to get countries to recognize that. I don't know the current status of where that is, but um, there's definitely been efforts there. So uh, by and large, there's there's a lot of work that's being done to try and, you know, I guess, isolate uh, the diseased areas and try to regain access. But I think right now at least if if there were to be a, a a disease break in canada or the u.s uh the likely response would be an automatic border closure and then perhaps some relaxing of border closures um later on as as you can prove that certain areas are free of the disease so uh, i think that would be you know the the uh, what we anticipate to be the thing that would happen um and then hopefully you know over time there could be some relaxing of those those requirements uh border requirements and uh, preventing trade. Great. Okay. Well, thanks, Todd. This is this has been really
2: interesting. Obviously, a very, very important topic to Canadian livestock uh, sector producers and others associated with the industry. Maybe in our last, we got a couple minutes left. Uh, Todd, if you have any kind of take-home messages you'd like to leave with our listeners, important points that you would like them to be kind of keeping in the back of their mind or thinking about when they're Pondering this whole issue of foreign animal disease as it relates to them.
0: Yeah. So the the three take home messages that I often try to get across to producers and and service providers and, and people within the industry, uh, there's three key things that you know us as being part of the industry can do and be prepared for, and I think uh, it's important to to highlight those. And so the first one is uh, early disease recognition. So knowing what the signs and symptoms are of, of serious animal diseases. So whether it be foot and mouth disease, African swine fever, even you know, PED, if you can detect a disease early on, you can take steps immediately to try to limit the spread of the disease. So that's a that's a huge thing, is is making sure that staff and farmers and service providers are aware of what those signs and symptoms are. Uh, the next thing that I, I try to communicate to to folks is is the importance of biosecurity um, and preventing the disease from entering your farm. So um, you know, there's your routine day-to-day biosecurity that you use on your farm, and, and service providers would have the same thing. Um, and that's a really important first effort in preventing a disease from coming onto a farm or leaving somewhere else, regardless of whether it's a, a federally reportable disease or not. Um, you know, biosecurity is critical in breaking that chain of disease transmission, so that's a huge component. But also, um, being conscious of what your enhanced biosecurity measures could look like, so. If we do notice that there's something strange going on within the sector, you know, perhaps there's some ways we can ratchet up our biosecurity on our farms and and through service providers to make sure that we're not the ones that are transmitting that disease. So there's definitely your standard biosecurity and then your next level enhanced biosecurity that could be uh, could be considered. The last thing that's, that that I, I try to tell folks is that you know there's things that we can do to take action uh, when you know government or you know CFIA or or USDA tells us or makes a recommendation that we should be doing something on our farm, we should take that uh, to heart and actually take action on our farms to prevent spread. Um, there's a number of things we can do to prepare in advance um, as part of that taking action. So setting up site plans, having some type of a plan on your farm that outlines you know where structures are located. You know it could be just a a map view of your farm an aerial view. Uh, knowing where barns are located and having that there is, is an important uh, piece of an emergency plan uh, not just for disease outbreaks but also for floods or fires those are, are valuable things um, having a contacts list of all the people that work on the farm um, and also the, those that own the farm or the, the primary decision makers so having that there uh, keeping good visitor logs of who's been on your farm and who's been off of it what products have come and gone uh, that's another important thing that we can do um, to be prepared. So those are a few key things that I just highlight uh, to folks when I speak to them. Um, these are things that we can do to prepare in advance. And if we have those 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 documents and those resources set up uh, in advance, it can help facilitate that, that response effort much faster. It can give um, the regulators and the veterinarians the information that they need much sooner so that they can make decisions. So those are kind of the three key takeaways that I try and uh, promote to producers and service providers. Um, you know, it's it's uh, early detection of the disease, it's biosecurity, and it's taking action uh, in the moment and in advance of, uh, of a disease outbreak.
2: Great. We've been speaking to uh, Todd bergen uh from Southern Alberta, who has been working extensively for what, about the last six years, six or seven years on uh, foreign animal disease preparedness. Uh, Todd, we really appreciate the time you've taken with us today. And uh, and thank you so much for all the information that you shared. Uh, so I'm John Patience from Swine It Canada. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in future uh, podcasts. Thank you very much.